Hi, my name is Zara McDonald and you are listening to Uncommon. Hi, my name is Michelle Andrews and you are listening to Uncommon. This podcast is brought to you by Neural Media. Are you an entrepreneur or marketer who needs help making podcasts, video or animation? Perhaps you don't have time to manage a freelancer or the budget to deal with an agency. Well, Neural Media can help you with simple and affordable content creation, saving you time and money by taking away the pain of producing that content. To learn more, head to neural.com slash media. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com slash media. Play around with our pricing or request a callback directly. Listeners to the show receive a special discount by using the promo code UNCOMMON. Welcome to another episode of Uncommon. My name's Jordan Michaelides and I'm your host. In this episode, I have for you Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews, both journalists, co-hosts of the Shameless podcast and co-founders of Shameless Media. What I like about these two media entrepreneurs is their ability to identify what works editorially in an overlooked market. The pushback they received from one of the largest digital-first female media brands in Mamma Mia would have taken some fortitude to withstand. But I think their principled approach to what they believe would work and that there was a need for, as they say, a pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff really birthed a rational community of women and a business that neither Zara or Michelle probably thought was even possible. One year and three months later, they lead a growing community and they've just announced their first branded podcast with Bumble Australia titled Love Etc. I'm very fascinated to see what these two get up to over the next few years. Uh, There's a very meaty episode where we covered how much they owe to the Daily Mail for content, the death of the celebrity profile, the rise of shameless, shameless media and monetization, create a burnout and how that can affect mental health, confidence and imposter syndrome. And of course, we spoke about the Australian election results and diversity of opinions. If you enjoy this episode, do consider subscribing or leaving this episode a rating on your podcast app. If you want to see future episodes, promos, behind the scenes, follow us on Instagram at uncommon underscore podcasts. If you want to watch the entire video episode, you can just search Uncommon Neural on YouTube uh, and that should all be linked in your podcast app as well. Show notes and all previous guests are at neural.com slash podcast. But otherwise, look, thanks so much for listening, our regulars for coming back, our newbies for giving us a shot. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews. All right, we're live. Apparently. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> we're learning things. How's your day been? I've just learned a whole bunch of podcast stuff, which is very humiliating for the co-founder of a podcast, <laughs> which has been going for over a year now. Yeah, so we've been playing around with this Zoom in front of us and we're realising that there are far more functions to the Zoom than just recording a podcast. Do you know what, um, what is it? What were the guys telling me the other day? Do you know what? Uh, what are they called? Bitrate or something? Okay, oh, Jordan. Forty-eight volts. Oh, uh, I wouldn't even go there with us. Are you talking? Sorry, vol- volts is the power. No, the the way that you record record it, there's some sort of like perfect frequency. By boys, do you know me? The Daily the Talk Daily Show. Talk show. Yeah, yeah, those boys were horrified. We were with them a couple months ago, and they had a look on my laptop. I think they were just trying to find a file or send me a file. 
and I've never seen two men so mortified. Your laptop does have its own issues, though. What, what do you mean? Just the way I don't file anything, and apparently I something was wrong with my cloud. And they she were, doesn't exit out of things. Yeah, they were just <laughs> they were mortified. And then when they we were saying this before we jumped on the mics that when they looked on our website, apparently our SEO is all wrong, <laughs> and we've just fucked up so many things. Yeah, that's fine. We have our issues too. <laughs> we're very Clearly. fast and loose over yeah, it. Shameless. We are. are you very? conscientious in comparison like I know listening to a few interviews you're like you're like Lauren you love to be on time to things right yeah uh, maybe I'm the more kind of <laughs> we've actually joked about this more this week we've actually joked about it this week more than ever which is that I am head of logistics mm-hmm. making sure we get on time places and like I'm obsessed with our calendar and making mm-hmm. sure that we get everything done mm-hmm. which is a tiny bit overkill probably very annoying it's very helpful though because yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not very good at that stuff I think we've naturally settled into two very different roles Zara, head of logistics, and Michelle, <laughs> head of strategy slash social media content. How's the big house title she's given herself? <laughs> you are head logistics, mate. Oh, if yeah. we had two big company, like a company with two big offices, you'd be the head of one and I'd be yeah. the head of the other. And maybe I, one day that'll be okay. I think it's actually funny that we're gravitating to different roles in terms of like, I actually think I've accidentally gravitated to make sure that the business function's fine. And Michelle is very much like big picture content. Yeah. Do you think that's fair? Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. all about big picture and you're all about getting today done. I was like, <laughs> Let's make sure that the business is actually floating. Yeah. But it's great to have, like, this is something I realised when I interviewed Laura as well, is it's it's amazing when you have a business partner. Um, and f- for me, myself, it's, it's Lauren and I, really. And to have that, to have the the two personality traits that mould together as opposed to clashing. The Kiba Cleaner girls have that really damn pat as yeah. well. I worked with them a lot last year when I was That's doing right. the copywriting yeah. and their dynamic is really good. It's probably filtered down into our dynamic a little bit. Well, it's taken probably a little bit of time for us to find our dynamic. I think when we started this, I would have said that we were quite similar in how we approached work and content. And the more time we've spent together and the more we've worked together, we've kind of gravitated to those different roles. And the more we've had on our plate. Yeah, true. And it's just the things that we find easiest to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. uh, One thing I was thinking about when we were getting started into, into these hefty notes was like (laughs) how much do you guys owe the daily mail do you think in terms of like content ideas look let's just say if the daily mail crashed today (laughs) shameless we'd be floating but we'd be we'd be struggling (laughs) (laughs) we do love the daily mail i was thinking the other day love Love to hate it was actually really funny i'm not sure if we're even allowed to announce this on this Uh, podcast the daily mail did reach out and want to sponsor (laughs) shameless and we couldn't even bring ourselves to respond to the email because it was crystal clear that the person who is reaching out has not listened to enough episodes to hear how much we grill the Daily Mail, not just in the Monday episode, but almost in every in conversation totally. ever. I know totally. that in the episode dropping tomorrow with Jade Tunchi, we we dragged the Daily Mail for a good four minutes. Yeah, we absolutely <laughs> did. <laughs> I didn't know if they were trolling us when they asked to sponsor, but I don't think they were. It seemed quite legitimate. So and we found that quite funny. They've covered a few of our interviews as well. I'm always like, do you want to cover this? Because I'm pretty sure we slam you in yeah. this interview. I, I think what it highlights is that there are certain writers that are obviously decent enough and they'll give you some content that you can utilise, but then there's a lot of... There's a lot of trash. Shit. Yeah. There's a lot of trashy writers. You're not I've kidding. seen some absolute shit on that thing. One of them, like when I was doing my research on Laura, I was talking about um, who's that friend of Dalton's? Ash Pollard. That's it. Yes. Saying oh, that they yeah. were dating or something. I'm like, really? Is but, this true? I feel like this is 
completely wrong. My favourite story on the Daily Mail about Laura Henshaw is when she wore a set of earrings to the races and the Daily Mail wrote about 600 words on how the earrings had left a mark on her face. <laughs> and it was like, Laura Henshaw's fashion faux pas. Wow. It's a talent to get 600 words out of that, though, in, oh, yeah. in all fairness. It's a skill. Now, tell us, you guys have been behind the scenes of pop culture production, both with Seamus and Mamma Mia. Mm. Why do, why do organisations do that? Is it simply just you need to get eyeballs on the platform? Yeah, like it's most really media? clicky. I think if you tell most women that someone's made a fashion faux pas at a major social ad event, people will click in. They will not read the 600 words. You almost need to write the 600 words to make the story look legitimate Okay. and your role at the, at the company <laughs> look legitimate. But most people will scroll through that story, find the one word or two word answer they're looking for and click back out. And the publication knows that. You'll probably see the engagement time on those kinds of clickbait stories to be 10 seconds. Well, that really? said, Daily Mail do something very interesting, which is they pump their articles full of the same photo from a t- like a minuscule of a different angle and they fill it with like 20 photos. And the words are kind of incredibly frivolous and almost meaningless by the end because they're just trying to fill the story between the photos. But I think for them it's about time on site because they know, I mean, this is me just projecting, but for me it feels like they want that click initially and they know that that click's not worth that much if nobody's spending much time on site. So they pump it full of images and then try to create words around that that don't actually mean anything. Uh, so I mean, they, they just want to get you in and capture you in on that and maybe, yeah. oh, look, there's an ad for Mechaland coming up. Totally. Yes. And so the long, the, yeah, it's true. The longer you're on site, the more ads they can pump between those photos. Um, um, which is super interesting. And I know as a as a and a very occasional reader of the Daily Mail, actually I won't say reader, I'll say a very occasional clicker on the Daily Mail. Um, I will scroll all the way down to look at those photos, even if every photo is the same one, basically. I agree. Mm. And it's also why you see those galleries as well. I know we know from experience that people <laughs> put galleries, photo galleries in those stories simply for advertising revenue and for page views. Page views are what people and publications take to advertisers. And if you can get someone to click through a hundred stories stories on a gallery, that might be one read, but a hundred page views that goes towards yeah. that publication. Which is like an incredibly frustrating user experience. And it's happening less and less now because I don't yes. think the metric is worth as much as it used to. No. Um, but just small, sneaky things like that, that, that media sites do and digital media companies do to get you know, to, to, to show metrics to advertisers is pretty funny. To boost CPM. Yeah, totally. yeah, I think the incentives are all wrong and we'll get into that later on. But um, <laughs> I was just thinking like when you girls were growing up, what did you think that you were going to be as kids? Zara, do you want to start? Handball. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to be a journalist, for sure. I wanted sure? to write. Um, like how early did you know that this was? Young. Was it? I, I really, yeah, quite young, like grade six. Wow. I, I had in my year six year book that I wanted to be a journalist because I really liked to write. Like I was writing short stories, terrible crappy, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast. You can um, swear all your <laughs> I mean, I've already said shit at oh, least four times. Great. So, so there would be like shit stories. But I was writing from a very young age because I found a lot of solace in being creative. So I would draw and I would write, but I thought that maybe writing was going to be the thing that I was going to do forever. I kind of had this misguided sense that being a journalist was being a writer, which I kind of only realised when I was about 18 that those two things kind of didn't marry very well. Mm. Um, but it was always the thing that I wanted to do. I mean, there was the occasional curveball that was thrown in there. Like my older brother and my older sister both are lawyers. And I think when you're the third child coming along and they've both done the same thing, you think maybe that's what I meant to do. Like, should I actually <laughs> veer outside the lines of what they've created? Um, and I had like a pretty serious, like sit down and think about that upon leaving school and thought like, it's not for me. Like I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm not just going to do it for the sake of the, for 
stability and the fact that my older brother and sister have done it. Uh, were, were your parents lawyers as well? No, no. Well, just your like, cousins are lawyers. Yeah, there's a, I've got a, it's strange in my family. There's like a, a few lawyers. Um, and maybe it was just one of those things where when you don't know what you want to do and you get an okay score at school, you just do it and then they've all just sort of like never left. Yeah, yeah. But they all enjoy it. You feel that obligation. Yeah, yeah. totally. What about yourself? Uh, I didn't always know. I think if I look back now, when I was growing up, I was writing movies and different scripts that I then forced my family members to act out and play. <laughs> and when I was going through, it's funny, earlier this year, my mum had a memory box and uh, from our childhood oh, for each of good. the four kids. And I was going through and I found different newsletters and newspapers and magazines that I'd written when I was a kid. So looking back, yeah, it was always there. But that said, I went through massive long stages of wanting to be a professional netballer. I wanted to be a psychologist, a doctor, a lawyer. I never really stuck to one career choice. Even when I got to university, I was convinced I was going to become a lawyer or a psychologist or a physiotherapist. So it was <laughs> a broad range there. Yeah. But that said, I always had blogs growing up. I was massive on t- I was massively interested <laughs> in I, I want to okay. take that sentence back a second. Could you I make don't her repeat mean, it? I don't mean I was we massive. We can do a clip on that. Just, I was massive on Tumblr. Just slay that. I don't mean I was massive on Tumblr in terms of following. I was massively keen on Tumblr. <laughs> Fuck my life. And then what else did I have? I had a WordPress blog and I always had blogs in the background. I was always writing in the background. So it wasn't until second year of university that I actually thought, hey, maybe I could do writing and just deal with not being paid very well for the rest of my life. Yeah, you don't think about that at the time. And then you start working and you think, oh, this is the ceiling. And I hit it at 21. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I'm thinking, uh, it sort of sounds like you both had this desire, like particularly with yourself and the blog, the desire to tell stories. Mm. Yeah, you know, for and sure. That, that is that is a a I don't know, like a drive that will always push you forward, even though. You know, the money in journalism isn't the greatest thing. I think it was also, I loved reading stories and I liked reading feature stories. Like the favourite part of most of my teenagehood, which is so sad, would be like opening the Sunday magazines and being able to Mm -hmm. read those feature stories on well-known people. We've never spoke about that. That was my favourite thing Because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to write features on people. I liked seeing how a journalist would sit down with a with a celebrity or well-known person and actually be able to almost psychoanalyze them as they're sitting there and then present <laughs> that in a form like did they arrive late did they arrive with an entourage like I always found those details so interesting yeah. and that's what I always wanted to do um and I don't think it's that different to what we're doing now we're still sort of like sitting with people we are also like <laughs> I guess psychoanalyzing them as we're mm. talking to them occasionally with our in conversation episodes but it wasn't just that desire to tell them it was a desire to read about them too yeah I, I totally know what you mean reading those feature stories were amazing yeah. back in the day and they were, they used to give so much access to a lot of people a lot of famous people here in australia but now because it's you know tabloids mm. like the herald sun and the age aren't really paramount it doesn't really happen like no. it used to and also i think as well that celebrities and famous people in general feel like they can get so much of their own brand story the exact way they want it to be communicated yeah. out regardless they don't need to put it through a middleman who might misconstrue what they want to say or uh take it down a path they didn't want it to go yeah. down if they have complete control what's the need to go 
and give that control to someone else. It's actually a funny thing that I tend to harp on a lot and we both do on the podcast a lot is like how much I despise like the death of the celebrity profile. Like I miss it so desperately. Really? Um, Because nobody does them anymore. Like you see the Taylor Swifts and the Beyonce's, they can write their own celebrity features. They don't need somebody to sit down with them and interview them. Nobody's writing good celebrity profiles at the moment. I think GQ do the occasional good one. Um, but nobody has access to celebrities in the same way that we used to. And I know it sounds so dumb and frivolous, but I think it used to give us a really unique insight into fame that we don't get anymore. Mm. It can also give you a shining light or or something to run away from, in a way, by getting that third-party perspective on that person. Yeah. I think that's why I always liked it. Because you could, all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, I really respect this person. Maybe I want to be like them in mm. life. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I remember that, that, that was that was good stuff. <laughs> good well, do they still do them? I don't even know. They do them, but they're very like, like you look at Stella Magazine, for example, which is the News Corp lift out at the moment, and almost every single feature story is tied to some kind of major publicity event for the person that's being interviewed. And not that that's necessarily new, but it just feels like they don't have as much grit as they used to. And I think that's by virtue of the fact that famous people or celebrities have the complete ability to tell their own story and sort of like present their own brand across social media and with publicists. They don't need the media as much anymore. Yeah. Now, on the, on the catalyst of your own story and, and Shameless and what this has sort of morphed into now, I know you, you've covered a lot in prior episodes. I think everyone's well aware you worked at Mamma Mia. I think your first little dabbling in podcast was on Batch Chat, a few hey, different episodes. Good research, very good nice. Research. Yeah. We like um, a researcher. And uh, I think you were saying, maybe it was on KickPod, you're talking about like how Bell Gibson was like the first first real sort of series you did on this pop culture space and sort mm-hmm. of taking a serious lens to it. I remember it was also Sarah's Day was a big one for us when we first sat down to do Shameless and we looked at the different kinds of stories that we wanted to cover. Sarah's Day was a big one yeah. in the initial stages. She's an influencer um, who had claimed at the time that she had cured cervical dysplasia with food. And we had reached out to like a a heap of doctors about that. And everybody was saying that in like 30% of cases of cervical dysplasia, it regresses naturally without any kind of work by the individual. And it was all these really damaging claims that she was making to over 500,000 young women, young female followers. And a lot of young women will experience cervical dysplasia in their time, which is kind of like those precancerous cells before cervical cancer. Uh, And that was one of the big, the first stories where we tackled, and we took a long time planning that episode, didn't we? Yeah, and the Cancer Council were outraged by it to the same level that we were. And our concern was that no major publications, despite us trying to push it in their faces, wanted to cover it. So we just thought, you know what, if these women have such huge followings and there is such a vested interest there from young women, why is no one having these conversations and we should have them ourselves? Well, it's kind of a sense that old media was ignoring new media, like uh, uh, traditional media outlets. I was going to say, yeah. Weren't and still kind of don't acknowledge the influencer space as very legitimate. And I think by doing so, influencers over time have got away with doing a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and there kind of hadn't been a watchdog to sort of like come between <laughs> the two. Is that, uh, do you feel like that's fair? Totally. Yeah. I think we became the unofficial influencer watchdog <laughs> in the first. And I think, honestly, oh, I think shit. that's maybe why we got the listenership that we did quite early on because we were having conversations that weren't anywhere else on the internet, really. There are very bitchy and snarky 
blogs and uh, Instagram profiles that call out influencer culture, but I wouldn't say they're calling it out. I'd say they're just lambasting it with no regard for that human being that they're criticising. We wanted to do things in a really journalistic way where we actually looked at it objectively and tried to remove emotion wherever we could and went to the experts who could tell us the facts that we needed to know and then present it to an audience who could make their own minds up. But what wasn't there for so many other platforms that did that calling out was decent respect and research and there was benefit of the doubt even when well, it's required yeah. yeah it was kind of like we could bring our experience in journalism and sort of like marry that with our real interest in influencer culture and the hold that these people had on young women and i just could never really understand why nobody took that seriously like mm. here's a whole bunch of people who have so much more power than a lot of media outlets like unfortunately yeah and or fortunately, depending on the person. And I could never understand why people weren't taking that influence seriously and that nobody was willing to hold them to account. Yeah. I think what you guys did really well is you took what originally would have been something that came from, like I know you've spoken about cancel culture and how people just lambast someone about whatever. But in this case, you sort of turn it into a story and people can actually have digestible lessons that they can take from this certain situation. Mm. Um, so, I, yeah, it's, that, that's what I got from it. At least I was curious as to why you thought podcasting versus, say, a blog was the format to do it or video. Why, Michelle? <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because I got myself into a little bit of hot water when we sat down with a Guardian journalist earlier this year and the sentence that came out of my mouth was websites are dead, yes. which absolutely <laughs> I don't think websites are dead. I think blogging as a platform yeah. and a medium is dead. And this comes from someone who blogged for a decade and absolutely adored it and every facet of it. However, I also know that in my own consumption of media as a young woman, I love podcasts because I don't have to give them my undivided attention. I can get shit done while listening to a podcast. I mm. can go drive. I can do it on a drive. I can cook. I can clean. I can go to the gym. There are so many things I can do whilst listening to a podcast because I'm busy, because I don't have the time to just sit down and give everything to one piece of media. media. Whereas with blogs, you have to sit there and read it. With TV, you have to sit there and watch it. Every other platform doesn't have that benefit. Yeah. And it was absolutely that. It was maybe a little less... um, concisely informed at the time (laughs) at the time we were working at a website and we were struggling to get eyeballs on our own work like digital media was struggling to get eyeballs on any website they were completely beholden to algorithms and we knew as really young journalists that our jobs were going to be in jeopardy because of that like we really felt that rising anxiety and rising stress about what our jobs were going to look like so we went to podcasts and said let's train ourselves in podcasts so that we have another skill in our resume so we can be rehired pretty soon like that was why we chose podcasts Mm -hmm. like we knew subconsciously and consciously that it was going to be the next thing, but we didn't think it was going to be our job. We just thought it was going to lead us to a different job. Yeah, and that sort of reminds me of one of the notes I had about how it's sort of like skating to where the puck is going, saying that you guys have done pretty well in this space. But it's sort of, I know what you mean, like there still are sites that exist. Like there are, uh, like Mamma Mia would probably be one of those. There's sort of, um, what's the word? There's sort of destination sites. Like people Mm. don't, you know, we all have sites that we just type into the the, the search bar or, you know, the, the HTTPS bar and you just go straight to it, basically. Mm, mm. Um, so, it, but it's so hard to do that unless you have a brand already. Yeah. So, to go start and work your way back to that. Exactly. Is, prob- is, is definitely the smarter way to go about it, I think. Mm. 
Well, we hope so. <laughs> <laughs> now, like uh, another thing was uh, th- that I was thinking about is, uh, you know, you you went to Mummy. Obviously, they're a bit wishy washy about whether they were going to do it. At least that's my sense of it. And you don't have to say that. <laughs> that's that's my analysis of it. But uh, you obviously wanted to go through with it. You did it. Um, when they were pushing back and you were realizing that you're going to have to go alone, what was the sort of the principles or North Star that you guys were thinking about when you did it? Uh, I think one of our one of our strengths for sure is that we have a really strong gut feeling when something is right and we will chase that gut feeling to wherever it leads us. Mm. I think it makes us quite good at our jobs. And with Shameless, we had the strongest gut feeling. We just knew. And the fact that anyone could have doubted it to us seemed honestly, and I know this will sound arrogant and I don't want to seem arrogant, the fact that anyone would question whether or not Shameless would work to us sounded absurd. We felt like it was the a good idea because there was a gap in the market, there was an audience waiting for it, and there was so much content every single week that would have been perfect for yeah. it. So when we were told no or we were told not right now, it was never a question of, oh, well, maybe we're wrong. It was a question of how do we do it without the backing of a network? Mm. I mean, I know that might be simplistic looking back on it, Zara, but I don't think we ever had a conversation where we thought this idea is not good. We did question ourselves. Yeah. Sometimes we thought the idea is good. Maybe us as hosts will be a, a misstep and maybe yeah. we're not strong enough to host a podcast. And that seed was planted for us. Like, that wasn't our doing. I think once someone plants the seed for us and say, you might not be right for it, you do start thinking the idea is good, we might not be it. Um, I think when Mish talks about that gut feeling, we we often now when we plan stuff for the next few months or even the next few years, we often come back to that gut feeling. And I sometimes I hate conversations around gut feelings because it seems so... I don't know, intangible and like magic-like. But for Mm. us, I think a gut feeling is like weighing up every single thing we can possibly weigh up and actually looking at it from a really logical point of view and almost like a bird's eye point of view and weighing up, well, there is that gap in the market. There is that readership, that audience there, that listenership there. It sort of can't not work when you do the maths. It's Mm. like, for me, the gut is like an equation. And also, would we listen to it? Fuck yes. Yeah. It was the type of thing We're that pretty I was, average. I wanted it. I <laughs> I feel like what you want, if you're the average person, which I feel like we are. Oh, we're very average. The chances are the uh, plenty of other average people want it as well. And yeah. if I'm going to try and find this, other people are probably trying to find it right now. And if we don't create it now, someone else will create it. Well, I think it's the fact that you went and obviously looked at that no one else is really doing it. Yeah. Mm. And then you go do it and then, fuck, look at this momentum. Mm. And now, and then I, could, I know what you mean. When you get momentum, it's one of the most amazing things. You, it's just sort of confirmation biases going off all over the spot, like, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Isn't it? And then for you guys now where you are, it almost sort of becomes like you have to funnel everything else out and you have to, instead of everything being about, the momentum, it's about curation and, mm-hmm. and sort of stopping yourself from doing absolutely everything. Because I can imagine with, you know, the last weekend, the podcast, everything else going on, it can be a bit overwhelming, perhaps. It can be completely overwhelming, <laughs> especially 
we when we we've only been doing this full time together for about three months, which blows my mind because so much has happened in that time. But there's a real sense, and there was a real sense early on that we didn't want to say no to anything. Like we don't know how long this is going to last, so we must say yes to everything. And I think it's taken us a little bit of time to work out that it's really important that we say no to things because we don't want people to get sick of our voices. <laughs> where our income relies on these voices, and if people are tired of them, we don't want to like, lose our voices. Or, well, also true. You can hear it. I'm kind of been losing mine for like the last three days. Um, you don't want to lose that or make people feel like you're not putting thought into what you're doing. Or if like we're saying things all the time and always speaking about everything, it doesn't look as carefully curated. And I think we need to keep that sense that we spend a lot of time on this, like one or two podcast episodes a week. Um, and it's special. It's that, that element of specialness to it, I guess. Yeah. No, totally. I, I totally understand what you're saying. I think, you know, something I was saying down in the, the kitchen before, you know, when we're getting set up and everything is, um, you know, the fact that by doing what you're doing as well, you haven't sort of just put your fingers in the jar with your audience as well. You've really worked on building it up. Like, I mean, when I was looking at some of the stats you've got, I feel like the Facebook group thing, I got here 10,000 plus. Oh, on we actually it's were more look, than that. We were looking at the, our LinkedIn this morning and we're like, oh, these stats are very We've old. We've got 16,500 in the yeah. Facebook group. Because I've been like, I've been going through it. It's a great Facebook group. Thank you. It's a very active Facebook group. <laughs> it's very, very active. <laughs> uh, you've got 27,000 on Instagram. Mm-hmm. The downloads, I think, has been published before as 100,000, but I'd say... A bit above that now. A bit yeah. above that now. Yeah. Um, and you sold out your first... 25 plus seat live show. I know... 250. 250 plus. I think it was 255 or something like that. Yeah, it was. (laughs) Um, Now, when you had no clout and you're putting up the posters in the bathroom... I just love that when you have no clout. We still don't have that much clout, John. (laughs) I I doubt that. I mean, you were saying this in an interview when, when it's very hard to... you. I don't know if you said this, but maybe it's a bit harder to do what you've done now with social media... Maybe, yeah, I, I think, I think that. I think when we launched Shameless, we knew that Instagram was very saturated and it's very hard to cut through with new algorithms. Thank you. Uh, we also didn't have a following. Zara Can't had... <laughs> yeah, Zara, Philip, you... Yeah, I really should with this voice. Um, Zara would have had maybe 800, 900 followers on Instagram. Oh, less than that, for sure. I had maybe 2,000 a few hundred on top mm-hmm. of that. So we thought, okay, we have no audience existing. I had a Facebook following from way back when I was blogging, which would have been about 15,000, but Facebook pages don't cut through that algorithm anymore God, either. No. Mm. So we needed to figure out how to actually get this into people's ears. And I, I don't know who came up with the idea, but the idea... I'm was- more than sure it was you. <laughs> and Michelle knew it was her too. <laughs> I don't want to take credit for an entire Straight. idea. No, no, I'm pretty sure it was you. I don't want to take credit for it. Um, the idea was, okay, how can we get young women in particular to find this? And we thought, well, university's number one and female bathrooms number two, not only because you literally have their full attention for the very brief moment in time, when the only point in time probably throughout a day that you have a woman's attention. So she's sitting on the toilet and that's <laughs> super gross and like it's a true, little bit confronting to listen. You thought about it well. Yeah. yeah. So we thought, okay, we're going to make not just your boring poster that says, listen to Shameless, we're going to make pop culture posters and we're going to photoshop them so we had literally we photos. thought they were so tony at the time <laughs> we had, I, that would be so embarrassing to go back i and wonder find. if they're still in some bathrooms yeah. we had photos of kim kardashian like peeking behind a bush being like Psst, 
Have you listened oh to gosh. Shameless yet? And there were some Chrissy Teigen ones too. They, they were abominations, but they worked at that time. <laughs> they so grabbed bad. attention. Well, we would often get, and it's so funny. We still hear from people who found our podcast from the bathroom. So this, yeah, we still do. And this was 2018 and we weren't <laughs> even on Instagram. And I think that's that shows how sort of hesitant we were to get on social media because we didn't think that we could cut through at this point in time. Mm. We thought the moment had passed. You couldn't build a following on on social media anymore. And then it kind of got to the point where we thought, this is absurd. We tried Twitter and it... We tried Twitter. Our audience is not on Twitter. No. Our audience is on Instagram. I, and I hate Twitter. The, the moment we decided we were going to start that Instagram account um, was huge because it sort of gave us a landing page that we didn't have. We didn't have a website, but even if we did, I think in this sort of context, it would have been irrelevant. It gave us a landing page and it gave us branding that we couldn't have got anywhere else. Mm. And it's sort of we started to cut through with terrible memes. <laughs> do, you, do you think it was the the memes that gave you the cut through or do you think it was no. the content? I think it gave think... people the opportunity, like high profile people with big followings to share the podcast and tag us. And then mm. people started wondering, what is this thing? I think that's what it was. It was literally a throwaway line. We put it at the end of one episode saying, hey, guys, if you like this episode of Shameless, can you actually take a screenshot? of your phone and put it on your Instagram story because we knew that Instagram stories are a very low commitment. It's only there for 24 hours. It's not like your feed where it's going to be up there. It's almost permanent. It's like a tattoo that if you ask someone to put something on their Instagram story, they typically will. And we had a whole bunch of people in that first week put it up and the snowball effect that that very simple instruction had on the growth of the podcast was massive. Yeah. And it wasn't just that. It wasn't just people sharing either. It was the fact that we had some kind of handle and landing page. So I didn't think and we didn't think that people would just share that Instagram story or someone would see it being shared and then going to their podcast app to then search the podcast. That was never going to happen. <laughs> um, they needed to go to the Instagram account and see the Instagram account a few times, like probably mm. five or six times before mm. they thought, okay, what is this? Maybe I'm going to check it out now. Why are all my friends sharing yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, and I think we've had that realisation. We've only really just gotten on Instagram it's still like it, it does get a lot of cut through, even when you're on, you've got a way smaller profile. Just having little things like videos of the episode or, yeah, memes. We memes just, are massive. We yeah, can, memes. We more people like liking our meme related content oh, yeah. Than, yeah. than the videos. We totally. had a meme this week. I mean, it wasn't a funny haha meme, it was a quite a poignant meme quite a poignant meme about the American abortion crisis. But that was our most liked meme ever. It got, I think, 18,000 likes like last fold check. as well. Yeah. And that meme, you can actually check when you have a business account on Instagram. We got 500 followers from that one meme. People finding the meme, finding our page and giving us a follow. Yeah, well, it's quite topical. Mm. It's. Yeah. Uh, I think I saw that. I th saw some people sharing it on their stories or mm -hmm, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Or maybe you shared it on your story. Bit of both. Probably yeah. definitely a bit of both. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 super interesting. I, I wonder when was sort of the aha moment. What, do you think it was when was there a certain someone commenting on Instagram or someone reaching out to you or what was the what was the moment where you guys thought like fuck this thing is a way this is out of control type growth we can't. I think it might have happened for Michelle much earlier than it happened to me. Um, probably oh, for me, my aha <laughs> was probably only like a month ago um, when really? I was like okay, like this is a thing that's got some legs and maybe we could do this for a really long time. And I don't think it came down to like anyone on social media sharing. Um, I think it was far more anecdotal than that, that people would have conversations with us about the podcast on the street. And I know that sounds really <laughs> ridiculous, but when you meet people, you're like, okay, 
like these are the people that are listening and I think the more that happened the more I was like I don't think we can deny the fact that this has like a few legs right now and I can't pretend that um I don't know it doesn't have momentum which I had stupidly tried to pretend I've had a few aha moments I think some of the first ones were when Laura Henshaw and Steph Smith shared it and not only shared it once but kept sharing it every week when they were listening. I think that to me, I was like, hang on, people with a lot of influence really like this and enjoy what we're doing. Olivia Molly Rogers is another one. They were just sharing it and sharing it and sharing it. I remember thinking like, this has to have a flow and effect. And it did every single week. People thought we were paying them to do that, especially Liv. With Liv Rogers, people were like, are you paying Liv to share this every week? We're like, no. (laughs) We have no money. (laughs) We can't afford that. It's how we found you guys. It's really? how I, I, I remember Laura sharing it. Yeah, I think I think a lot of listeners um, have come through those girls and I think we have a oh. lot to owe them. Oh, yeah, and they're so supportive. Yeah. yeah. Asking nothing in return. They literally just enjoyed it and want to share two people starting out. Those three women are such a huge part as to why we're probably sitting here today. Totally. And then on top of that, the second aha moment that really comes to mind is we were so nervous to put tickets to our live show up <laughs> on the first day and I remember feeling <laughs> sick. We were ill. I felt sick, <laughs> physically I would be, Ill. I'd be fucking ill as well. I mean, you yeah. don't know who these people are. You're know. just seeing numbers. I remember my sister said to me very recently, because um, we were having a conversation and she was like, when did you think maybe this could be a thing that you could do for your job? And she said, for me, and her, she said, for me, it happened when I realised people <laughs> were fucking paying money to see you and Michelle talk and I couldn't work out why. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was pretty fair. Yeah, because it was it was <laughs> surreal in the best way possible. We, we told our followers and our listeners to look out for tickets. And I remember realising I had not even posted the link to the live show tickets in our Facebook group or on our Instagram yet. And already chunks of them were gone because people were Googling them and trying to find them before. Before we would share them. So when I saw that kind of demand and then I saw that we sold out within six or seven minutes, I was like, oh my God, there are 250 people out there who are so keen to do this, which is so galvanizing and exciting. And then we released our second live show and it wasn't as quick, but the same thing happened, sold out again. I just remember thinking this is such a strong, vibrant community. There's something here. Yeah. Yeah. You. I mean... To, to think that you only realise that recently, I can see that when I go on the group. I mean, it's mm. so obvious. Like, this thing is... It it reminds me of Kick. Like, it, it's it's got... Uh, there, there are certain principles there that... Uh, maybe you've spoken about them before, but there's something in that group that, that, that people really, really like and it brings out the best in a lot of people. Like, I've noticed that, you know, you made a post about... Um, it was recently with the the election and saying that this group is a a group of rational thinkers, which I quite enjoyed. And it's it's obvious about like you know yeah you get people who ha- crack the shits or whatever, mm. but it's it's quite obvious when you go in there. It might sound overly earnest, but I do think there's like a soul there somewhere. Like, and f- we had a conversation maybe a week or two ago, um, and we were on our way to one of the High Point masterclasses, and I said to you, you Michelle, I said. I feel like we were sold. Not to Jordan? <laughs> no, I said it to you. Um, I said, I'm so frustrated that for the first few years of our career, we were almost sold this lie about women and content and that was that worthy content didn't cut through and that people didn't want to read stuff that mattered. And maybe it's true in a form of written written content, but what we've learned so quickly through this podcast is that women want to know really important things and that you can make money off that. That's commercial. Like you can commercialise worthy content and we were never taught that. We were always taught the opposite. And I think when I look at that Facebook group and there are women having conversations about cultural appropriation and politics and whatever it might be and that 
that's a really mainstream conversation. That's the first time I've seen that in my own experience because for so long we tell journalists that worthy content can't make money. Mm. I think as well, and this was what Zara brought to the table, and at the moment I put, at the time it was happening, I actually pushed back on it. I remember her saying to me, we need to bring in post approvals into the group. This was at the time of the Melbourne Cup last year. She said, we need to approve every single post that goes in so we can have as much control as physically possible. And she's like, I know it'll be, it will be very time sucky, I guess, and it will demand a lot of us, but we need to do it so that we can keep really tight grip on the tone of the group and the content that is shared in that group. And I remember telling her, I'm like, absolutely not. We won't be able to be quick enough on it. Things will be in there for hours before they're approved and people will get sick of that. Everyone wants a real time uh, thriving community. It needs to be live. And we eventually went to Zara's strategy and I said, okay, let's do this for a week. And she was right, 110% right. Because if we let that group be whatever people within it wanted it to be, and if we approved every single post that came in and let every comment fly, it would be a clusterfuck. And we've seen that with so many other groups that we've been in, like Girls Advice, for example. I was never in it, but I've heard such terrible things about the tone of that group in other circles with my friends. And other groups in general, like the Bachelor groups and the Married at First Sight groups, they get so nasty and so vitriolic so quickly that Zara's advice to do that was so pivotal to making sure that the podcast group was a productive and safe space like we've got women sharing really important stories in there really personal things and it's very very soft and friendly and it's like a sisterhood yeah and that's how we try to brand it and I think if our name is on a Facebook group we've got to be super careful about the tone of that Facebook group and there's only so much control we have we try our very very best to use that space in the most productive way possible but I think for me it was like if the tone of this group goes off people aren't going to listen to the podcast because we are reflection of that group and if the tone is not right then it's either is the podcast it adds value as well totally like, back, back to your point about you know degenerating into whatever you know trash basically that's what what's that law where everything turns into a nazi reference on the internet there's, there's, there's like this law there's a genuine law that like a theory that basically everything devolves down mm. into a nazi joke or mm. reference or something like that yeah it's true they just descend into cesspits if you don't actually stop it early and I think that's as well it was a really big compliment I think Jordan when you said it brings out the best in everyone because that's what we want because when things are really contentious like the election on the weekend it can bring out the worst in people and the most emotional irrational side of people and sometimes to be blunt about it they need parenting they need Zara and I. we actually do feel like parents sometimes yeah. you guys are like teachers with the ruler yep. just standing there and it's so funny when we have because we have a lot of commenters that are very active in there so we know them like not personally but we know we have conversations with them behind the scenes and and sometimes when they run amok a bit and then they come back to us and they say sorry I'm like oh like you know better than that <laughs> And, like, we've had this conversation before. We've Scroll up through your messages. Yeah. But we still love oh. them because they are so great being there. But it is that sense that, like, we feel like sometimes we are overseeing naughty children. Well, they're, like, the beating heart of the podcast. It's just frustrating to see them run amok when they do <laughs> run amok. But it's, it's tricky. Moderating that Facebook group is a huge 
huge time consumer. That's not even a word. I'm sure it works. But uh, yeah, let's run with it. Like we, while we were at Mechaland, we had to pay my sister 50 bucks to keep an eye <laughs> on the Facebook group. <laughs> it absolutely wasn't worth the money for Evelyn. And yeah. people, people might hear that and be like, what do you mean you have to pay her? Why don't you just get listeners to moderate? Which is something that I got plenty of DMs about as well recently saying, oh, I'll, de- I'll moderate the group. I'll moderate the group. I'd love to. People do not realise how much work it is. Claire and Evelyn, two of my sisters, had moderated the groups during the live shows for a couple of hours at a time. And I remember they were so keen when it came to me asking me, like, do you want to do this? Like, please, yeah, it'll be so easy. It's totally fine. We'll do it. (laughs) They were begging to have their post approvals turned off and to have their moderation approvals turned off by the end of those live shows because you are bombarded when there's 16,000 people wanting to discuss different things. It is insane. It is such a big job and it's not something that we can bring someone on to do unless it's a paid position. Yeah. Yeah, paid position and also someone that knows the tone. Yeah. yeah. How do you monitor? Well, that, that that goes to my point about maybe we'll jump into shameless media. <laughs> Just before we talk about what you're going to do, mm. monetization is a really, really hard thing, right? Yeah. Particularly in podcast land, it's you've got sponsorships. I think you've obviously learnt the advantages of live shows. Like I think most of the internet comedians we've interviewed, they realise that that is their bread and butter totally. and that's where you make... That's where you basically support yourself. See, yeah, we've heard that a lot. I don't think we did it as well as we should have. <laughs> really? Well, I don't know if it's even as well as. I think we wanted to price the tickets at a price point that university students could attend. And yeah. maybe that cut out a lot of our profits. I mean, we've spoken to other podcasts like the Batuta Advocate and we heard their ticket prices, which they're more than worth. Like, of course, charge that. <laughs> they sell out all the time. The Batuta Advocate boys are incredible, have nothing but praise for them. But the diff- the discrepancy in our ticket prices. Yeah. How much were the tickets? I think they were like $39. There's a huge chunk. And I think people, yeah. <laughs> my friends were joking, like, oh, let's do the maths. How many people are coming? How much are the tickets? And then I think there's a huge chunk of that sum that, you know, goes to a million different other things which is obviously the name of the game. But it is, it's one of those things where we're working a lot of stuff out on the fly um, and we kind of always will be and we're like so more than happy to be self-aware about that, that we don't know anything, particularly when it comes to business. Like we're very much teaching ourselves things on the fly, which mm. we're enjoying, but it kind of feels like you're drowning most of the time. Yeah. And we will hike up ticket prices a little bit because we did learn, we did not make enough money from those live shows to really validate the amount of time and energy. And of course, it was lovely, lovely, lovely to meet all the listeners. It was such a good experience. But the financial toll was Um, pretty big. But that's something that we can fix. And also like the events, I I definitely think you could price the events more because, you know, like with these comedians, like you're just going to a venue to watch someone speak, whereas when you guys are doing it, there's a, I can see from behind the scenes there's a lot of stuff going on oh, there. Oh, there was it's, a lot. Everything's dressed up like amazingly. I'm thinking, whoa, this is It was probably a bit overkill. I remember we nines. thinking we wanted people to turn up and not feel like they had been jibbed by anyway because they'd spent money to see us. Like, this is classic <laughs> female, young female undersellers, right? Can you tell the way people please us? And, um... <laughs> We got them, like, we'd organised, Mecca was a major sponsor, so they all got a Mecca gift voucher, a gift voucher, sorry, gift bag that was probably worth as much as the tickets. There was also an open bar in the second show, which means basically people had, like, eight drinks for free each. Mm. We also had, like, it beautifully scrunchies, dressed up. Free scrunchies. scrunchies. We yeah. had, like, other stuff. Like, they made, <laughs> people made money by going to that show, um, which we were more than happy to, be, to, to oblige because we wanted it to be a great experience. <laughs> We've just since thought that maybe there's a middle ground that we need to find. And we were 
also so shocked that anyone bought tickets. We wanted to like reward them for being <laughs> such good listeners. Good, yeah. yeah, it was the first event you did. To be fair, yeah, like you, you yeah. It, yeah. There's nothing worse than going and doing an event, and you know it's a hundred bucks, and like five people come. Totally. You don't want you don't want to have that at all. We want to sell out. Yeah, and so when we were thinking, okay, so we want we want to sell out. We don't want to put prices up at seventy bucks because number one, I don't want to pay that to go to a live show. I'd prefer to pay that pay a bit less than that to go to another podcast so yeah it's going to be a balancing act with other especially interstate shows where it's so much more expensive again because you've got to pay for flights and accommodation and all the other types of things that are factored in what price point we actually settle on because we want to give our community everything and we want to make sure that it's worth their money because we know that it's hard when you're a uni student you don't have a lot but at the same time we do kind of need to pay ourselves just a little bit to keep (laughs) going. I think you definitely are underselling yourself because like I said one of the main points that we had from the questions was <laughs> are the girls earning enough money like <laughs> and it wasn't just like do they have enough money to eat i'm sure that's the case you wouldn't go full time without oh, it fine. but do you have enough money to be saving for a house for things that you want um, you know like i think that is yeah. the main sentiment that i got from I think there's a we're quite self-deprecating and I think mm. that's important and I think also we are very self-aware about the like the limitations of our skill set and all of those kinds of things. We it's also incredibly expensive to set up a company and to set up a business. Like that's mm. the reality of what we've been doing, but we're also pretty strategic and we're not doing this generally out of the goodness of our hearts as much as we love this job more than anything and it would be our hobby if it wasn't our job because it was our hobby for so long. Um, we're incredibly strategic about what the next few months and next few years are going to look like so we can sustain what we're doing because we think it matters. And money is a super important topic to us. Yeah. We have a lot of interest in it in general and lots of women do and we take it seriously. When we say that we've made mistakes, we have, but I think every new business would and I think we're fine. People do not need to worry about us not being able to eat. We can eat. We can eat and we're fine and we will make sure that this is a thing that lasts a long time. Yeah. Okay. That's good. It's good to know. Um, <laughs> Would you like you, to see our bank balance? Yeah, while no, I've just opened no. my app. Do you think that you consider something like a subscription or Patreon or anything like that? No. No, no. we don't like Patreon. Why, uh, not not Patreon specifically, but why not? Look, so, it, maybe it was too close-minded of me to say no straight away. Um, to be honest, in the, the short slash long term, I cannot see it being a thing. Um, I think you at, at the moment where we're at and assuming that continues, we can make pretty fine money from sponsorship. I think it's a pretty easy trade-off between us and the listener um, in terms of we give you something and all you have to do is sit through an ad and they don't seem to have a problem with that because I think they know that we're trying to provide value for them. Mm. And genuinely as well, a lot of the sponsors that we work with, uh, they genuinely get behind. Like we've had a whole movement of listeners get on board with Raise and actually love it. <laughs> so we feel like we're also giving value there because we're recommending products that we genuinely like and brands that we love but when it comes to patreon i think again it comes back to ourselves i don't think despite how much i might i might like a podcast and really enjoy it i can't see myself donating to it and if i did i feel like it's an unusual imbalancing of a relationship between a listener and a creator and i don't want to feel indebted to people i want to feel like i'm providing them something that they enjoy and in return they will accept that we will work with brands yeah, and well, that's the trade-off. You'd have to, if you do that, then the the assumption is that you have to make extra content. Yeah, that's exactly. the hard part. Which we almost don't have. In yeah, us. How the fuck do you no, do that? no, no, we definitely don't have it in us right now to make extra content. Yeah. No, but I also think, um, yeah, it's that sense that 
we then have full control basically over editorial decisions and the content we make and we make it on our own watch and when we do and we're also very transparent with brands about that that they have no say editorially about what we do because it's very important to um I guess our our jobs and our careers and I kind of the the spirit of yeah. the podcast. We yeah. can't have brands uh, bleed into the actual editorial side of things. They can have their mid-role, which is a host read by Zara and I, and we script that entirely ourselves and we make sure it's always in keeping with the values that we hold close to our yeah. hearts. But, yeah, it's really important to us to make sure that advertorial and editorial are kept mm. separate. It's also just bad business if it's otherwise. Like, we want to play a long game here. Like, we're not playing a short game. We're playing a pretty long game. Mm. Um, And if we kind of compromised on any of those things, yeah, it might be great for now, but we're shooting ourselves in the foot for three years' time and I'm not that interested in doing that. Yeah, I can respect that. I think it doesn't make sense to do any of that other stuff at all because you just want to keep growing. Yeah. I think that's the main thing. And who's to say that, you know, the industry doesn't change and we need to sort of pivot a bit. And it's I'm very likely that that's the case. But for now, I'm pretty confident and happy with how things are being monetized and how it's being commercialized. Mm. Now, shameless media. <laughs> yes. What can you say or what what is what's the the thing that you're when you're standing there daydreaming the type of company that this becomes or what is it? Um <laughs> Funny you ask. Isn't that the big question at the why moment? Don't you, why don't you co- handle the question of what is it and what can you tell us and I'll handle with what do you want it to become? Okay. What is Shameless Media? Um, we spent a long time brainstorming about this kind of thing and I also think it would be bad business of us to not hold our cards close to our chest at the moment. Um, but when we found some kind of success with the podcast, we knew that there was something bigger there, that there were stories that could be told in a much more mainstream way for young women that weren't silly, that weren't frivolous. And so we thought, also, we are just a two-person team and, and our perspectives are quite similar on the world and this needs to be um, much broader than our voices. And I know I'm being like overly diplomatic and very vague about this, but Chainless Media is essentially um, an extension of what we're already doing. It's just on a much bigger scale, hopefully on a much more mainstream um, way and also with a v- way more diversity of opinion and um, people. And do you think, like, does it start as a network like Mamma Mia or do you want to become a full-blown publisher? We aren't entirely sure how it's going to look down the track yet. I think one of the things that we're really sh- sure on, and we actually were talking about this with Zoe when we met her. She's like a massive career idol for us. Foster Zoe Blake. Foster Blake. Yeah. Are you on first name basis, gonna, Michelle? Well, I think we are. <laughs> we're sorry. Are was... we not? Are we not? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Anyway, when we were talking to Zoe on the weekend, she said to us, she's like, it's really important to be focused on really short-term goals. I think that's what we're trying to do with Shameless Media. We know what we want it to be now, and I wish I could just tell you in like five words. Maybe I I will off mic. But long-term, I don't know. I don't want to know. That's the honest answer. I think if we come up with an idea of what Shameless Media will be in six months' time, it would be foolish of us because I think the industry changes so quickly that we would miss opportunities to our periphery if we were only set on being one thing directly ahead of us. So we do want to keep our, basically our field of vision open. We want to make sure that we're talking to lots of women in lots of different ways. And we feel like there is a big, big, big gap in the industry for diversity. We don't feel like there are enough women who have a microphone in front of their face. And I feel like we're two university educated white women who, yes, we work hard, but we're also given a lot of 
steps up the ladder and rungs up the ladder to be where we are right now. And I feel like we want to make sure that the content that we're creating and that we're working on involves other people. And it's not just us. And it's not just two blonde girls chatting about pop culture. It's a whole bunch of people sharing stories and creating content. I just don't think it's out there at the mm. moment. And it's. I just want it to be, I know we've always said this from the very start, even from before, maybe Shameless Podcast was a twinkle in our eye as if it was a real <laughs> child, um, that we wanted there to be a destination for really young women that was clever and smart and diverse. And that's not a public service. That's just good business, I think. Mm. No, I, what I can see you guys doing is is using the nous that you've built over the last year or so and using that to create other brands mm. i don't know what br- brand what means you, yeah like is it a podcast is it a column i don't know but i can i, I know i can see that you guys <laughs> are, are clearly like uh obviously specific f- for women mm-hmm. you know like think about like all these magazines that were for women and they haven't really made it over to the new format they okay? haven't well, like Dolly, what like what happened to Dolly? It died. Dolly Does died it because it refused to adapt. Do you guys remember I, Dolly Doctor? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Dolly it, Doctor taught me The first thing I did when that um, magazine came was rip open the Dolly Doctor tab. God, yeah. The All the girls section. at school used to like bring it over and be like, yeah, you want to know what's in Dolly Doctor this week? <laughs> or was it daily or weekly? It must have been weekly. Weekly back then. Yeah. Dolly? Was it not weekly? monthly? I thought it was monthly. No, no, it was definitely monthly, Michelle's right. And then there was Dolly Doctor on... Um, was it the hot Oh, 30? yeah. You're oh, well across yeah. this. I think Dolly Doctor's still kicking around, just giving <laughs> out advice to non-teenage girls. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I've, I see a whole bunch of women's media platforms and I see a whole bunch of the same kinds of people having the same kinds of conversations that have been regurgitated since 2015. And so we want to have new conversations and we want to do it in a really authentic, positive, helpful, educational way. That's not us. That's not us. Yeah, we can't. And as you said, it's good business. This is the fact that I cannot get over. (laughs) It is good business to talk to more women than just the white woman who has a fair bit of money and went to university. It is stupid to ignore every other kind of woman. Think about how multicultural we are in Australia to pretend they don't exist. For for the average white woman to not really ever come across an article about Ramadan on their average website. Why? So many women in Australia do are having this experience. And having this experience and if you don't give them a place to go, they're not going to come to your platform and that's people that you don't have on your platform. Yeah. I just it doesn't I, I make just, sense just, to me. I just think it's look my, like my family comes from that region of the world mm. i just think that um when you don't grow up grow up with it you just don't know mm. it's just as simple as that well and i think it's worth all us always acknowledging our blind spots in that we had pretty similar upbringings we've had pretty similar lives mm. like um on a grand spectrum of life and we know that we have a fuckload of blind spots that we need to address um but that will only happen when we make this a bit bigger and we can bring other voices into the fold mm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm very interested to see when this becomes shameless media. <laughs> I know you're going to have to hit up the uh, the daily talk show about when SEO is this, first. When is this going live? This episode. Uh, this goes live in about two weeks. So around uh, maybe a, you'll just have a week to then. go you'll after have. that. I think. But the, this is the other thing we probably need to go across. Two weeks, two days. Not everything okay. we're doing 
in shameless media immediately will be tying into what we want it to be long term. Yeah. So it might still be Zara and I's voices on different Not things. Not even I know what you meant by that. <laughs> no, no, no. But it might still be our voices on some things to begin with. So true. But big picture goal. We uh, want to be bringing other people in. Very good point. Early projects often aren't completely indicative of, of the vision. Okay. I think. The vision is strong and we don't want to deviate it from it either, though. Has anyone reached out about investing with you guys yet? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> they have? Uh, yeah. And to be honest, we're, we don't really know what we're doing regarding business, but I know for now I want it to be us. That's okay. about it. Yeah, we don't want investors. You don't want to bring in investors unless you really have to. Yeah. yeah. Because I mean, if you do, <laughs> they would probably ask you to bring in a... Not a business partner, but someone from an opera, not operational, but someone who would lead things like sales and all that. Like you guys are all clearly the leaders of the craft. Well, we were joking. I can't remember if we were off mic or on mic before that we are quite fast and loose. And we are a bit fast and loose, but I think in early days there's merit to having that flexibility to be fast and loose, to, to sort of find your niche and find, I don't know, what even you're doing. And then later, once that's fully formed, you can bring other people in. And also, yeah. to be brutally honest, we haven't met an investor or sat down with a potential investor who gets the vision. We get the vision. And I know between Zara and I, we are on exactly the same page. If someone sat down with us and they were across everything we wanted to do and they fit in really seamlessly, maybe, yeah. But we haven't come across that yet and we're not about to push something with someone that we feel like doesn't get it, even though they try and sell us that they yeah, do. just for some like short-term coin in the pocket. Yeah. What, what do you think is it that they don't get the demographic, the content that's being made? Demographic. Or- there's something, there's something I think funny. I think they don't get the magic behind connecting with lots of different women. I think the investors that we've met with have been not diverse enough or not forward thinking enough in their own politics, which is a very unusual thing to say and way to word it. But mm. I just think we actually need someone who's on the same page politically and socially as us. I still think for all the work that we're doing that there's real um, credibility issues with young women and the content that is pitched to them and written to them and sort of produced for them. But also for us, I think we'll battle credibility issues for a really long time. Mm. I mean, we're pretty young. Like I'm 24, Michelle's 25. So you always bring that up. You're about to turn 25 too. I'm going to hold on to this for as long as I possibly can. <laughs> Which is um, July. Michelle's grandma over here. She's so old. Um, and I think that, like I said, we will have credibility issues with regards to what we're doing. I think sometimes when people ask me what I do and they're not from the demographic that we're in, I kind of, I I can pretty easily explain what we do, but I know that there's a sense that people don't get it and it can come across as very fluffy and frivolous. And I don't think what we do is fluffy or frivolous at Mm. all. And I think if I know in day-to-day conversations that I can't sort of sell that point, then we're going to have an issue for a very long time with potential investors or whoever it might be coming into the business. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want potential investors to come to us and be like, oh, well, you've clearly got an audience. Let's talk about the audience. Instead, we want to talk about the message. That's the most important thing for us, I think. Imagine if you talk to us in five years and we've lost all of this like beautiful optimism about the world. Yeah. <laughs> and we're just running this like white bread, super like contained company. And we're company. like, all we care about is the soul of the company. And then we're like, ah, fuck, we need to make money. <laughs> Where everyone's blonde and everyone's white and the same person. Let's check back in. That's my nightmare. I hope it, that doesn't happen. It might just be that like they don't, maybe they just don't get it from a data perspective. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think if you're not in it, you don't understand it. But you, you know. Maybe in the long term, you find someone there who just, their viewpoint is like, I just want you to keep doing what you're doing. He's, I can offer this experience, this intel in the media space, blah, blah, blah. 
and then that's how you go with it. Who knows? If that happened, I'd be very open to a conversation. So would I. Yeah. Mm. I hope we haven't just invited a bunch. Oh by my accident. god! <laughs> I think you will. <laughs> I think you'd be surprised. I think um, I find new media fascinating, particularly yeah. in Australia, because it's all happened or has happened in some way in America, uh, but it's not played out here yet at all. Like we're five years behind, but they've had three years of turmoil over in the US where, you know, they go through the VC funded route and organizations like, who was it recently? BuzzFeed, Vice. Yeah. yeah. Basically lots of sackings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's there's a whole lot of lessons there and it sort of shows that there could be some decent opportunity here, but... Yeah, opportunity, but also a lot of fear, if I'm totally honest, because I think what you see with regards to new media, particularly with Bustle in the US, I think, who own a bunch of media outlets now, is um, people aren't, journalists aren't happy with how um, investors are investing in in big media organisations, because I think the thing about that's funny about journalists is they're like either very cynical or completely idealistic about their craft, and they don't like that like overhead, overbearing influence that's driven by money. And to be honest, I would say we're quite similar to that in that like the content comes first and we don't want that overbearing influence. So with that comes a bit of fear because people are still trying to work out new media and trying to work out how to monetize it and do Mm. it in a way that doesn't lose listeners or audience. Well, in the US, they just had the wrong funding model. They use this VC model, which you have to raise money every 18 months to two years you basically have to be growing like a tech company. It just doesn't work with mm. staff. Unless you're Canva, it's not going to work. Yeah, unless you're Canva, yeah. it absolutely does not work. Yeah, and especially when you're a media outlet that's like beholden to algorithms, like we keep touching on. Like there's a lot of power that you lose with regards to, to how you can reach people. Yeah. yeah. Touching back on the content and money relationship, I think if we were to have our company values up on a wall right now, I think content before money would be a big one. I think it's something we really want to make sure that we carry on because I think so many media publications have forgotten that, that you need to make good content first and the money will come instead of create content to make money. And yeah. I think I'm seeing a whole bunch of media outlets do that and really fuck that Get the that advertiser up. first and, and create the content around the advertiser Liter- rather than literally. create the content and wait for the advertiser to come. Yeah. yeah, I don't think that's the ultimate way to go because your product is the content. Exactly. Now, burnout. I think um, creative burnout has been like a big, big topic. I know you've dealt with anxiety. Mm-hmm. I've had to deal with it recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just... Condolences, my friend. Yeah, it's, it's not fun. It's fucking brutal, man. Yeah. It's um Yeah. I think it do you think it gets brought on by certain situations as in like do you think just running a business is just always gonna like it's always gonna be there bearing down on you? It's so funny you've said that. I feel like my anxiety is way better now that I have my own business. I, really? I, I think being around you I so agree. Zara would vouch for yeah. this. My anxiety was at its worst when I was at a workplace that I feel like didn't treat their employees the way they should have. Or was it worse when you had that workplace plus shameless no, at the same time? No, it wasn't time? the workload. And I don't think we've ever struggled with a, an over-the-top workload. It was the nature of the place. Yeah, it was the workplace that gave me anxiety. I know, And I don't mean gave me anxiety, <laughs> exacerbated my anxiety. Yeah. still have anxiety. I still have really dark days. So I've seen some of them. But the dark days are few and far between compared to what they were. So how do you guys deal with stress then? To make sure that this this stuff doesn't, you know, you're not going to blow a gasket, so to speak. We are struggling at the moment. Yeah. I'll be honest about that. Um, we have probably bitten off to the very limit of what we can chew. <laughs> I don't want to say more well, than no, in no, case no, no. anyone that we're working with listens to this and goes, fuck, they're not going to 
get to deadline or whatever. We will get to deadline. But we have bitten off a, a bunch. I think when people find out how much we've bitten off, probably next year when we can actually be vocal about everything that we're working on right now. In this period, yeah. Yeah, next year in September or whatever it's due to be. <laughs> so ages, we've got- ages away. I think they'll probably be like, oh, my God, did you guys sleep? Did you eat? And the answer to that is rarely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sleep is a funny one. Um, what I found when I left my job and we started running this business is that I don't sleep as well. Um, I wake up far earlier than I ever did. And I wake up with sort of like a little bit more stress because I'm like, all right, what's the day going to look like? And how are we approaching the day? It's all That's or not. That's because you're logistics manager. That's also true because I'm logistics <laughs> manager. Um, so Michelle is right. We've absolutely bitten off more than we can chew. And I don't think that we will do it like this again. Um, but it was pretty early on us not being able to say no to things and not knowing how to say no to things and also thinking that work wouldn't come, so we must yeah, say yes well, to everything. The f- it's just the simple fact that all of a sudden it all comes at once, right? Yep. Yeah. It Freelancer all comes life. At once. Yeah. yeah. But we're in saying that, I can't think of a time where I've been more fulfilled work-wise than when we're doing all of this mm-hmm. work. Like I, I feel genuinely very fulfilled and very happy and we've worked probably the last four weekends straight and we were having a conversation about how we were meant to have this weekend off, but that absolutely will not happen. Um, and there's no resentment there. Like there's, I mean, from my end, there's absolutely no resentment there about the fact that that's what we need to do. Like I, I like that. Um, we handle stress pretty well because I think we work very well together. Mm. I don't think this could function if we didn't have a really, really strong working relationship. Yeah, Mm. I think when it comes to the anxiety thing, the main trigger for me right now is some of the feedback that we get. That's really um, hard. What, like reviews? Yeah, uh, reviews, DMs. Just messages. Oh, it comes everywhere. It comes from every every angle. It's It's really, really hard. Like, I won't deny that. I think... We both have this sense that we come across quite, maybe quite self-assured because we do a lot of research with regards to the points that we're making on the podcast. But I don't think that that is that accurate. I think when you're young and you're fresh to this and you're reaching an amount of people you never knew was possible, it's going to hit you really, really hard. And it sort of makes you question. (laughs) It's definitely made me question like the way that I am, which is really terrible. And I think Michelle's had to sit me down and be like, do not change. <laughs> but I think I'm an incredibly dry and incredibly sarcastic person and and I've had to really grapple with on a really main with a really mainstream audience that cannot translate that that well. Yeah. Oh well it can translate See, I feel like I'm giving you another counselling point. Oh, no. It's translating well because you have a mainstream audience. It just doesn't translate for every listener in that mainstream yeah. audience. But that said, some of the most popular songs, movies, television shows in human history will have their detractors. They will have people who fucking hate that piece of content despite it being subjectively to a lot of people the best piece of content ever. So I think it's a really tough grappling situation because – in my most rational of minds, I know that as your audience grows, the amount of hate and troll comments and criticism that you get will grow proportionately. Mm-hmm. That said, you aren't always in your most rational mind. There are times of the day where I am not feeling my best and I might be anxious and I might be hormonal. I might be a million different things. Tired. And I log <laughs> on and I see a comment about myself, sometimes made by a fake account 
and that will ruin my day. Like yeah. absolutely annihilate the rest of the day. And it gives you like this sick feeling, I think, that yeah. kind of like you're wrapped up in for more than a day um, that you can't shake. Like it's dogged. And I think we need to get better at it. And I don't think we can complain about it because we're so happy with how well things are going. But it's not normal to have to read that stuff about yourself. No, I, I don't think you guys should beat yourself up about it. I mean, when have we ever in the history of the world had the ability to communicate so directly, but with also so many fucking people. Yeah. Like, Jesus. And some There's of them are probably really people. troubled. Pro- yeah. Some of them probably really going yeah. through a lot of shit themselves. Most comments, the way I look at it, negative ones, is they're externalising their own issues on you. Yeah. And they just need either a kick up the ass or, you know, I, that's genuinely what I believe. We, we've had some pretty nasty comments and it's just like... I feel really sad for you. Mm, yeah. Sometimes I can read them and delete it and move on and it doesn't even penetrate my armour. And then on other days, it will really fucking sting. Yeah. Really oh, look, sting. I, I it know can paralyse you. Lauren and I are different in that regard. She'll dwell on it a lot longer, mm-hmm. which I totally get. Totally get that. But, I mean, I can't imagine what it's like for you guys. It's a lot. I, I won't lie. I remember I used to hear... Uh, people with platforms talk about this and a little piece of me used to always think well that's the price you pay for all the benefits that you get and there (laughs) are benefits like we've started receiving free stuff which we don't even like we don't even give our addresses to pr people give the free stuff away if i could cancel out the job so they're able to find your addresses yeah pr people just send us stuff and we have no idea where they've found it from with a lot of them some of them we say yes to because they're genuinely things like for example a brand sent me richmond themed memorabilia and clothing generally we say no just on that you've got a business right what, what business? You, you've got a registered oh, PCY. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They'll be able to find it through ASIC Connect. There you go. Uh, there that's, we probably, go. that's probably why it always goes to your house. Yeah. There we go. Michelle's so you should just change, comes to my you house you should just now. change it to a PO box. Okay. Yeah, yeah, which is that. also, yeah. Or yeah. unless you've got like an accountant. Um, I think, um, yeah, there's a lot of influencers, I reckon, that they've. it's easy to find the company. Yeah. And then if you know what you're doing, you can find their personal details through Asset Connect. All it's these all PR managers. Yeah. There Sleuthing. you go. But, yeah, Michelle is right. Like, I would agree. I used to kind of hear the concept of maybe trolling or criticism and think, you know, that is kind of the price you pay. And there are elements of truth to it, but there are also elements of um, it being <laughs> really hard to deal with to the point where I've had so many days where I've said to Michelle, like, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this. Like, I think I don't think my personality type is as cut out for this work as Michelle's is. And I don't know if that's unfair. I think if you had have said to me a year and a half ago, you can choose to be behind the scenes or front of microphone, I probably would have chosen behind the scenes if really? I had a choice. Yes, definitely. But I love what I do. And then I think, could I give up that conversation that we have once a week for like an hour and a half where we just like get to st- talk shit for an hour and a half and like hopefully make each other a little bit smarter because we've both done different reading. Like, would I give that up? Then maybe I couldn't. But I think being able to, with shameless media, go behind the scenes more and actually be able to create behind the scenes where we're not front of centre will be a huge relief. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys spoken to Steph and Laura about this? Yeah. Yeah. What do they say? Because I remember speaking to Dalton and Laura separately about it. Some of the shit they get is brutal. Yeah, it's totally brutal. It's brutal. We often send it to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, like, they get people that – you probably get this as well. Like, people reply to your story 
As if they were sending it to a friend? Yes. Oh, yeah. And they accidentally people, send it to you. Some people have, like, very recently... Oh, don't. Well, this is so bad. Which one? Well, people have the said... Rugrats one the Rugrats one or the I got, Bung Eye one? Both. So one, I got a reply saying I looked like I'd been punched in the eye, um, which also doesn't penetrate because I'm like, eh, that's a weird thing to say. And then someone else, like, went to... People have, like, gone to the effort of, like, creating collages of my face next to, like, something kind of weird. <laughs> next and, to a Rugrats character. And I was like, I mean, I, I get it. That's a lot of effort to go to kind of... <laughs> Insult me! <laughs> wow. Yeah, but we you do guys talk should to post them. it. Oh, you know, like I see a lot of the. We've interviewed a lot of the Aussie comedians here, who are quite prominent on Instagram, and whatnot, and they get some brutal comments as well. Mm. And uh, you know, just take it in your stride. Just post it. Be like, you know. See, it's so funny because I feel like then I'd be thinking about it more, whereas I take on Steph's approach. She's told me to do this before, which is just literally just delete it. As soon as you read it, delete it, move on, and it's out of sight, out of mind. I think if you put it there visually for me or if I'm scrolling through it when I go through my inbox or whatever, I will be reminded of it. I'll be put back into that place when I first read it. So I just delete. Uh, I think you reply more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> recently. Zara will send back a sassy reply. Yeah, it depends what's, on my what's mood. What's your best one line? I've done before, um, lol, that's kind of mean. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of mean. Is your <laughs> what yeah. do most do, do they say, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't No, make- no, uh, some of the replies have been funnier than the initial message. Because I was like, I remember there was one very recently where it was a really kind of mean comment. So we were sitting there and we replied together. I typed it and I was like, is this okay? I replied saying, hey, that's kind of mean. Be and careful I- about what you send people. Yeah. yeah, and then I think we said, oh, this will be hilarious. They'll come back and they'll be cowering and they'll be thinking, they, and they, I never thought they were going to reply. And then they've come back and like overly justified the point. And I was like, I was not expecting that. And I was yeah. like, I said this because of X, Y, and Z. Okay. It's like, all right, if you want to say that, say that. It's the fine. doubling down that I, gets you. Yeah, Ooh, I think yeah. I'm just incredibly naive and I think that people will come around, but some people won't. Now you've got this break coming up. Another major question was, how have you decided on Monday, Thursday, or how did you originally decide on Monday, Thursday being the ultimate cadence? Mm-hmm. But also, I know you're gonna take you. You're not gonna publish anything for the two weeks, right? Yeah, correct. You okay. read my Q and A's. I did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, we we are not going. Well, actually, on a technicality, we are publishing something while we're away. Okay. That's all I'll give you. Yeah, they'll have something to listen to. It just they'll won't be, fine. be shameless. Uh huh. There's your exclusive. I know what's That's going on. <laughs> I know what's <laughs> happening. That's what you're after. Um, how did we decide on Monday, Thursday? Funny story. We worked Tuesday to Saturday together. I actually worked when we were working together and Shameless was born. I worked Wednesday through to Sunday. Monday was our weekend day. Um, so we released it. We would record it on the weekends and release it on a Monday. And then we would be like three, four weeks in and we were like, this Monday thing is not just by design of our workloads. Like this is crucial to the success of the podcast. Because people started saying, this is the highlight of my Monday. Monday is typically for the average person, the worst morning of the week, right? <laughs> it's a good day to publish. It's, I'll give you that. It's yeah. probably one of the smartest things we did. And it wasn't even initially intentional. strategy. It was unintentional to begin with. It was just that we wanted to give people a sugar hit on their su- on their Monday morning when things are shit and they're back at work, but at least shameless is out. everyone hates their lives. <laughs> but most people do not like there's even like a pop culture movement no, of hating totally, monday right? totally, no totally totally so this for them to be, be able to say best thing about monday 
became a trend. People started saying that. And then we kept thinking, well, it's really important that we release this at a very specific time and that there's like a an, a sense of trust built here, that they know when they're going to get it and when it's coming in. And, and it, it sucks for our personal lives. Oh, yeah. It sucks so we're working for our on weekends. weekends. But we're, they flew out the window years ago. <laughs> but can you imagine doing, um, like I know yours would be a lot more research driven, but the Daily Talk Show. Oh, I couldn't I know. imagine fucking Although doing those that. guys can riff with no prep better than anyone I've they're ever seen. Awesome. Yeah. They're really good at they that. They can just sit in front of a microphone and talk for an hour and then be like, all right, we're done. And they're genuinely funny. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really <laughs> funny guys. Tommy and Josh. If Shouldn't be saying this. We'll have to cut it out. I was going to say, <laughs> would then you say just this to like, their faces? <laughs> no, I wouldn't actually say it to their faces. I'd, stop, I'd say, stop like ragging on us about our fucking SEO. <laughs> but we also should fix our SEO. Just let us be shit at what we're shit at. Anyway. <laughs> Did they? I feel like they were speaking about you guys recently on Monday's episode. Were they? Maybe. Oh, maybe we need to go back and listen. I think you do. Either that or they've uh, they've tagged in Shameless for SEO. Oh. <laughs> We're going to have to go check it out. I don't, think, I don't think they would do that looking at their previous... Because i got this thing, vidIQ. Have you ever heard of it? Are you talking technology to me? It's like a Chrome <laughs> plugin. You use Chrome, right? I mean, yeah. Most people use Chrome. The only Chrome plugin we have is Grammarly. You literally You're lost, kidding, right? you literally lost me at plugin. Is <laughs> that what on. Grammarly is, a yeah, plugin? Yeah. I just go to the website. Really? I don't use the plug-in okay, function. Okay, so there you, you go. Don't she doesn't hun- even... Do you use Honey? Are you talking about like... When you do online shopping? We don't use Honey. We don't use plugins. I'm not kidding. We're, we're this pretty like bad at a lot wow. of the jobs that we have. Is this like an <laughs> app thing? They're like, they're like apps that go in Chrome and they do certain things for you. You know Honey is the one where they, it automatically generates discount codes. Yeah, but I always thought that might be a bit scammy. Yeah, same. It's not scammy. Anyway. Ooh, <laughs> Saves honey. me six bucks on my protein powder. Yay. Hey, honey, if you're listening, we've got a uh, potential sponsor <laughs> opportunity right here. Michelle, you're terrible. Um, but there's heaps of things out there, like Amazon and all that. But um, it's basically a plug-in for YouTube, mm. and uh, it tells you what tags they use. Ooh, so I've been very looking at niche. I've been looking at that because you know I would just be listening to the episode and be like, oh, that's interesting. That's a, they tag themselves in that. Some ah. funny hobbies you've got going there. <laughs> interesting. Well, I don't really hate on them for tagging Shameless. Go for it. I don't know even know I what think, that does. I think you guys are referencing the episode. That's yeah. why they wouldn't do it otherwise. It'd be weird. <laughs> hashtag <laughs> Michelle Andrews. Hashtag Zara <laughs> McDonald. Hashtag Shameless Media. Oh, yeah. Are you guys gonna do video? Do you think? Yes, definitely. I already, I'm not even sure if I've told you my idea for video well, don't content. tell them here. I'm not going to tell them here, but I, I've been doing on a YouTube series idea that's not the one that I've told you about. Oh, it's a different one. I was going to say we've riffed off. No, it's a different one. We've riffed off different ideas for video and how we're going to use it. We are definitely going to do it. Right now we're a two-man team. I have an idea and I don't know how to fail. Let me put it that way. I can see Ooh. the gap. I can see the gap and I see the audience and I don't see anyone else doing what I think we should be doing. Okay. And I think it fills multiple spots. I'll talk to you spots. off mic. I, th- I think if you were to do video right now, it'll add an extra six hours to your week so yeah. just keep that in mind we, we don't have to hire that. someone for yeah. it do you know how to use premiere pro or anything like that because no. you had it all yourself yeah? yeah you're speaking tech to us again okay so it's a new program that you have to learn mm-hmm. premiere pro is just on the adobe thing you're right mate. i'm not we- learning another I, i'm very very lucky because lauren's a designer yeah and so she already sort of knew how to use this stuff and then as soon as we started publishing, it was just like, oh, I can do it. It's easy. And she found it easy. But I was just like, go, Lauren. This is mine. I, like, I don't is know Lauren how to use Is Lauren looking for a second job? I know. <laughs> also a good point. Let's chat off mine. She, she always is. She, I mean, she runs a lot of our, um, we actually do a lot of content production for others. That's how we monetize. Did yeah. we just create a networking relationship? <laughs> yes, did we? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like we, we, um, we have like 10, 12 different, cl- it's sort of similar to, it's actually similar to what Tommy and that do. Except we we focus on more 
audio and video and stuff Amazing. like that. We're not we're not as good. Like their cameras are like pff, oh, they're good 12, cameras. Twelve. 12 grand at least for, for the thing that they would have filmed you Are guys they drug on. dealing on the side? I was gonna going to say somebody's on? paying them too much. <laughs> no, nah, I think they just get paid for cinematography type of course. Type work. Um, <laughs> Imagine them listening to this. Just they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, they will be listening to it, knowing those guys. Um, <laughs> have you had any weird moments where you've sort of just been walking down the street and someone's asked for a photo? <laughs> yes. Today. <laughs> really? Yeah, uh, about two oh, hours no. ago. <laughs> What's that like? Must be fun. Uh, it, uh, no, to anyone who's listening to this who listens to Shameless, please do come up. Yeah, it's really, really nice. We really enjoy it. Uh, it's disconcerting sometimes. If you're not prepared to meet someone, like if you're not actually dressed up and you're just doing your grocery <laughs> shopping or whatever, it can be a, a, not that I, not that we could get bombarded either. No, no, it's no, not no. like it happens all the time. We can't live our normal lives and we're like it's so like jaded. The tiniest pockets of Melbourne where like young 23-year-old women congregate. Okay. It's very specific areas. So for example. <laughs> the SB on a Saturday night. The SB yeah. on a Saturday night. Brunch spots that are popular on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, Melbourne Central Station during university hours. It's super niche. Like we're okay. talking very, those, very niche. Those are the hot spots. It's not like I'm walking down the street and getting papped and like I can't live a normal life. <laughs> but it's it's really fun. <laughs> Michelle Andrews, just like us, doing her grocery shopping. Such a normal gal. Um, it's not like it happens all the time. When it does, it's really exciting and it's really nice to meet people. Sometimes... Uh, it can be a little bit disconcerting simply because if someone looks at you a little bit too long and you're in those kinds of areas, it'll pop into my head like, oh, I wonder if they listen to the podcast. And then then you feel like a wanker because you're like, they probably don't know who the fuck I am and they've just looked at me for a second. (laughs) So you feel like a wanker at the same time as feeling like, oh, maybe it'll happen again because it happens a couple of times a week. It it, it is weird when that happens. I mean, your audience is a lot bigger than ours, but I've had it once or twice and it's strange. Mm. It's It's not a little disorienting, I think. Um, when they start saying, oh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, this, they just start rattling off things that they know about you. That's yes. like, oh, yeah. okay. Well, yeah. I tend to forget that a lot. And I think I actually said this to Michelle the other day. We were sitting on her couch and I think I would have conniptions if I imagined the audience that listens to the weekly podcast in like people form. I don't actually think I could do the job. Like I think I would bunker down and I would hide. Um, <laughs> so I just don't think about that. But when people come and say hi, it's so wonderful. But I also feel this like intense, overwhelming pressure to be the person that maybe they think that we are. Mm. And I want to be like really nice and really friendly. And then you get stressed if you're in a rush and you don't want to shortchange anyone with their time. And um, I sometimes I get awkward because I'm caught off guard. Like I get incredibly awkward and I wonder if it comes across as rude. Um, I think we tend to overthink it a little bit. A million things, a million things go through our mind and we want to make sure that we're like thankful to absolutely everyone because we're so scared the podcast will die. Michelle's always like, I'm scared the podcast is going to die. Keep listening. (laughs) Yeah, it gets, uh, yeah, we are almost too overbearing with our praise and our compliments and our, uh, I guess, gratitude to people who bother to listen to us every week. But it's, yeah, it's really weird because on one hand, I'm like, I'm such a wanker for being like, oh, is this person listening to the podcast? On the other hand, I'm super grateful. And on the other hand, I'm, I'm worried that people who meet me and meet Zara will be disappointed That's by the, us in human form. That is the overwhelming feeling. Because we are so, like, so awkward and like basic bitches. <laughs> and I'm like, you could not be impressed by us in person. It is physically I, impossible. I doubt that they are anyway. Do you think, though, that it's made you more confident? doing the podcast? Um, no. I, I think it's gone the other the way. The other way. Really? Yeah. yeah. I think it's injected a lot of fear. 
Fucking hell. Um, I'm so scared that I'll just disappoint people. Like yeah. I'm really scared that people will meet us and just not, I don't know, like we shatter some illusion because I literally think, being super honest, that some people have gotten it confused. I've got a bit of like Stockholm syndrome. Do you mean imposter syndrome? Imposter not syndrome. syndrome. Not I fucking hope yeah, it's not Zara, Stockholm syndrome. Every, Zara's like, my uh, I'm turning you crazy. And I'm turning in love with her. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, no, imposter syndrome do, for sure. I do not think it's made us more confident. I think we used to, we used to speak in those early episodes with such... Um, Freeness. Oh, complete freeness and there was no restrictions and we could kind of say what we wanted and that's not always a good thing but I think we are incredibly thoughtful and incredibly considered in how we approach the podcast now just for fear that we could let somebody down or say the wrong thing or and we're petrified the tide will turn we're very aware of the fact that we're having a bit of a moment where we've gone through a real purple patch and we've had lots of successes and the audience is growing and we've had lots of green ticks next to our names but the way things often go... That has to happen. ...is that people will be pulled down from that and people will see you up on a little pedestal and go, oh, actually, you did this, this and this and start to nitpick or start to rightly call you out for something that you did wrong. I am terrified for that day because I do think it almost comes for everyone and I do worry that it will one day come for us because we've created some kind of illusion that we're perfect when we're so far from perfect. Do you think we have, though? I mean, maybe we don't don't talk about enough that we aren't and I'm probably... I probably do that just by virtue of being quite private in that I don't share a lot about myself, which means I don't share the shit parts either. Um, She's awful. <laughs> I'm so bad at it. And I think I need to because then I've accidentally put, uh, I've created this image of myself where nothing's ever wrong when <laughs> things are wrong a lot of the time. And as well, if we're calling out people for behaviour that we don't like, by virtue of that fact, we might be positioning ourselves as the authoritator on what is good behaviour and then people think that we are perfect in our behaviour when that's not the case. Like we can't stand for every social justice issue and we can't be doing everything for everyone. So sometimes when uh, we do make a slight misstep, like if we do get a takeaway coffee cup instead of using our keep cup, lots of people can be really disappointed by that and we need to we need to kind of push that idea that we we don't do everything perfectly because no, no human being does. But yeah, the, I, I think a lot of people are going to be sad hearing that because I, I got a, I get a sense that people are aware that you guys aren't perfect. No one is, mm. I would and hope that so. they appreciate. You know, like just going back to the point of seeing people in person, that mm. they, you know, I think what they like about you guys is that you're just like them. I would hope, definitely are. I would hope that would be the case. Like um, they can see themselves in you. That's yeah. that's why they like you. That's why so. they follow you. That's why they look at what we you do. We didn't come here for a counselling session. <laughs> <laughs> I just I would hate just to appear like we're on some kind of high horse. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's pretty easy to to for it to seem like that. Um, but I'm like hyper aware of that's how it the that's what the optics can look like. And I think the more conversations we have about self awareness and making sure that we do expose parts of ourselves that aren't perfect, the better it is for everybody, mostly us. Yeah. Let's, um, we're starting to crack on time. I want to quickly touch on, I feel like some people are going to want to hear about the election. Yes. I feel like you guys have uh, given you two cents worth in the group. Mm. How do you feel? I feel sad. I, I think when I first read the results, we were in an Uber on the way to an awards night and I just said no, like no, 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 like no, 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 no. 
And yeah, Zara was upset too. I think I'm always more emotional in every circumstance, no. really. I'm upset. Yeah. I, I think it it shows that I need to open my mind to other people and other Australians more. I think we can all get caught in our little bubble and think that everything that we believe and that our friends believe is what the majority believes and thinks. And I think it goes to show that this isn't that case. And there's a whole, the majority of people in Australia feel a way that I don't feel and that Zara doesn't feel either. And so, yeah, I'm sad and I'm disgruntled and I'm upset, but I also need to probably open my mind more, not to change my beliefs. I don't want to change my beliefs. I believe them wholeheartedly, but to open my mind and look outside my circle more because I think we can get so caught in our little corners and reassure ourselves that everything's fine and everyone thinks the same way we do when that's far from the case. Yeah, for me, I don't spend a lot of time dwelling generally, I don't think. Like, I am very much like, okay, well, what the fuck are we going to do with this? Um, and we have, like, a pretty sizable platform um, and we can reach, you know, a certain amount of women every week. And so particularly in the Facebook group, I'm particularly in the Facebook group, I think I've been thinking like what what kind of guidelines, what kind of conversations can we start to make sure that that we're having some kind of impact here? And I think it comes down to making sure that diversity of opinion is championed. It's just that very fine line between championing diversity of opinion and making people feel safe in your space, particularly when they're part of minorities. And I'm actually writing a column about it for the newsletter tomorrow because I don't know how we're going to strike that balance perfectly. I don't think we're going to strike it perfectly initially, but it is definitely on our minds about how can we make sure this isn't an echo chamber while simultaneously making sure people feel protected in the space we've created for them. Yeah, because this is the tricky thing in that these parties and their varying policies might not directly affect Zara and I, but we are deeply upset about the people that they do affect. So it's easier for us to... I guess, walk away and be like, oh, well, next time. Whereas for so many people, it's it's so much more complicated and upsetting and emotional and long-lasting than that, in that this means everything to them because it it's about them. It's particularly for gay people, and governments back in that almost actively tried to block their right to marriage. There's so many people who are so torn and tied up in these different policies that I'm upset but I'm more upset for other people because I don't really see myself being affected directly by anything. Whereas I know that many of our listeners are, and we did see that real hurt and pain in the group totally. over the weekend. Totally. So it's, I guess, a work in progress, working out like what we can do with that result and how we can sort of create something productive from it. Yeah. And I don't think we're there yet. I, I hope to get there. It's a bit of deja vu for totally. last last um, three major events. I think uh, I was... Um, I was watching a like a discussion the other day and they were talking about Pew Research Poll and it was showing how sort of, I don't think it's as, as extreme in Australia, but uh, what do they look at? The top 10 mainstream values and it was showing how each party has moved, you, you know, through polarisation as, as each group has moved, moved over the last, over 10 year periods from say the 1970s. And uh, it was just showing that I think centre-left groups have moved more left mm-hmm. than centre-right groups. So centre-right, everything. basically what they were saying is everyone's moved to the left, surprising, mm-hmm. and that would be surprising to people in the left. It's just that in the centre-left of politics, it's moved a little bit more left. So the views of the right are a lot more extreme. And pronounced. And they have that as well. So yeah. it's, I think... 
if if there's one thing you can do is just touching into what are the mainstream values and what do people think about that and where's the common ground. Yeah, and also giving people to act a space to actually talk about it because yeah. I think a lot of Australians feel a certain way but aren't being open and honest and having a dialogue about that back and forth. We saw that in America with Trump in particular that none of the polls showed that he was going to win and none of the polls here showed that the coalition was going to win and they did. Yeah, I, I fell into the pattern of looking at polls. Uh, I don't... Yeah, I, I think it's all about... It just shows like old media versus new media. I think yeah. it's just mm-hmm. data analytics is where it's at. Mm-hmm. And I, I was found it very interesting because um, I thought... I did genuinely believe that Labor was going to win. And in my mind, like the way I was... I don't want to say who I voted for, but generally I think consumption is what boosts the economy. And I think they were more aligned with that. Mm. But I, I totally get it now like I, I understand what um everyone else was was missing yeah it's been very interesting i just don't know why i, I glanced over that because i wasn't surprised about trump i wasn't surprised really? about brexit i just think that there's so much angst in what people dub the silent majority which is really just people who float either left or right yeah. and they're sort of stuck in between the polar outsides you know, that remaining 20% on each side. Mm. Yeah, and I think Michelle's right. Like, I think for so long, and it's it just feels like we had deja vu that we didn't learn much from the Trump election and that we didn't give space to people to talk about things and to say why they were voting a certain way. Um, and if we can't have productive, smart, clever, helpful conversations about politics and policy and people feel shamed about who they're voting for, then we're not going to crack anyone and change everybody's minds. And if we can't actually no. argue and have productive conflict, then none of us are getting smarter. We're all getting stupider. Well, I don't think centre-left parties are going to win for the next two elections yeah. if it continues the way it's I going. Agree. I agree. It's hard. Yeah. I think a lot of progressive people use really damaging harmful sweeping generalizations to discuss people who vote conservatively and I think that's really dangerous because as soon as you start to label people as bigots and racists then you are pushing them away Mm. and you're not opening the dialogue and you're not allowing for any grey area and I think there is so much grey area because I know I voted for Labor and I'm honest about that and I've been honest about that but I have lots of people that I love and adore and who I think have really strong moral values who voted completely differently to me Mm. and that's fine I I don't judge them for that I think there's so much animosity in the way that we discuss this now that no one's speaking to each other they're just screaming at each other. Well it feels very similar to how our conversations around feminism and toxic masculinity play out on a public stage in that I feel like we spend a lot of time yelling at each other and not actually trying to find that common ground. And I think we need to get more and more pragmatic, which is easier said than done when there's these are like really flammable conversations and emotions are heightened. But particularly when it comes to feminism, I think we need to pull ourselves back. And I say we and Michelle and I, in that we need to pull ourselves back and think, well, how pragmatic can we be about this? And in order to get men on side is yelling at them and telling them they're dickheads and idiots going to do it. Yeah. Even if they are idiots and dickheads, it's not going to work. Like well, I was we need to ab- be empathetic. I was thinking about that... Um uh, the point you had in the last episode about the uh, what's happening over in the US regarding abortion, mm. I think uh, it'd be super interesting to hear some guys get on the show and talk with you about it. Mm. I think yeah, you'd be surprised. Point. Like, I think most of those issues that like specific to feminism is just that if you're a guy, uh, you want to be able to hold an opinion on a topic, but when it comes to feminism now, a lot of the time you're told that you can't. Mm. 
And if or that you it's just, wrong or in it, some way. Well, it's fine if it's wrong. Like you can you can still have a difference of opinion. It's just that if you again going back to that whole silent majority, if you're if you're believing that you can't voice that opinion, then you can't even work out what you agree on, mm, and yeah. it just it ends in animosity. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I think um, you know it's been interesting because I've been reading a book on linguistics, and I think. Particular, I did notice this during the election. Like the language used by Bill Shorten was like really negative. Like, let, let's take the example of climate change. I think using crisis, if you believe it's a crisis, that's fine. But using that sort of language really, I don't know, it sort of irritates your opposing team. Whereas mm-hmm. if you use positive language, I don't know what fucking different word you'd use. Well, but- first of all, I'm surprised that they didn't really explore the economic benefit of looking into a new... Yeah, I mean, to be honest, no party has had good policy yeah. on on this whole thing. Uh, actually, I had... Um, we just published it this week, the former chief scientist of Australia, and I think the only way to do it is pragmatism. Mm. Yeah. You've, got to be, you've basically just got to say, go for your life with renewables, but realise there's going to be coal or other fossil projects that will be funneled out over the next 20 years or so but if we just like allowed you know like we've had people here who work for ifm investors biggest infrastructure fund in australia and i actually used to do work with them and they want to invest like 20 billion dollars in renewables Hmm. but because the government couldn't give them clear policy they went and bought sydney ports like that doesn't do anything that's just an exchange of one asset to another whereas if they had put in 15 billion dollars into this new industry you know, like, wh- where's Richard Di Natale? Why isn't he going up to North Queensland and talking about setting up wind farms and mm. solar and, like, getting jobs there because, like, they've got 30% unemployment? Yeah. That's That really, really grinds my gears. Well, for me, it just feels like one big massive breakdown of communication. Yeah. And I think when it comes to the coalition winning, I in the last few days all I've been thinking about is, like, the simplicity of communication that they... You know, yeah, they did it enlisted. supremely well. Yeah, and, and I think people want to be spoken to in a very simple, easy way. And I've always been so frustrated by like political jargon and, um, you know, fair go for those who have a, have a go. And I thought that's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard, but it worked. And and that is very interesting to me. And in that we can dumb down very smart things into simple, easy sound bites, and that's how you win an election. Um, and it's disappointing, but it's a reality. And I think there's got to be room. There's we've got to learn something from that. Yeah, it's just I think Phil DeFranco said it. If you want things to travel far, you need to be as simple as yeah. possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like as soon as Bill Shorten started saying the top end of town, I started thinking. That's a bit strange. Like, why that specifically? You're going to cut out a whole voter base by doing that. Yeah, and I think as and well... And it was also negative. Yeah. It was really, really negative. When I heard those ads as well, it's also, who is the top end of town yeah. as well to me? Who, who like, is that? Are we talking about the top half of town? Are we talking town? about, like, News Corp or um, Google who don't pay any tax? Yeah. Are we talking about... Uh, self-funded retirees, like kids who that go is to it? private school. Yeah. There are so many yeah. different definers of what could be top end of town, and if you're saying the top end, that could kind of cut out fifty percent of people that you're talking about. So now everyone's like, "Well, I'm the top end of town. Yeah. That must be me." Yeah. I also love how we've got all these very strong opinions on the downfalls of Labor's campaign when we're only picking them up after the result. Yeah. Classic hindsight, but yeah, yeah. What is the actual results? 
I think the government's got a majority now. Yeah. I, have to have a look I that think up. 78 seats oh, at well, the moment. Okay. They have a majority. So they'll be able to have a speaker and a majority. Yeah, they'll be fine. They will be more than fine. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> anyway, it's been interesting um, learning in the last... 24, 48 hours about all that stuff. So we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. In the next couple of weeks. When this goes live, yeah. Yeah. Now, I want to jump into some short, fast questions. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go. So fast. Okay. In the end of the game, don't be like, um, wasn't Tommy, it was Josh. Josh took his answers to 15 minutes apiece. This surprises me. Uh, (laughs) Shock horror. (laughs) Got really deep on some stuff. Um, Morning routine, what does that look like? Oh, wake up early, check our socials. Okay. Yeah, wake up early, check our socials, and at the moment, go and get a coffee with my boyfriend every morning before okay. work. <laughs> What's your coffee of choice? Soy latte, and Soy he gets latte. a cappuccino with one. Nice. Um, Zara's coffee order is a three-quarter strong skinny, skinny latte. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a wanker. <laughs> um, evening routine, how do you guys decompress? Uh, we don't. Checking our socials. <laughs> no, uh, traditionally, I quite like socialising midweek because I think we work so much that I quite like splitting up my week so that I'm not working all the time. So it's usually like I'll try to go get dinner with a friend and then we'll come back and be on the Facebook group on Instagram again. Uh, Fair? Facebook group and gym. I go to the gym at night. Okay. With my boyfriend again. Gross. <laughs> Disgusting. Uh, if you had to gift a book to the audience, just one book for Christmas, Oh. what would it be and why? Oh my god, Jordan, that's so hard. <laughs> Jesus. Um I booked <laughs> I know what I want to say, but I can't say that. Oh say oh what no, no. Oh no, you can't say that. What you go. Why not? Uh, um Fuck. I... Oh um Oh Normal People by Sally Rooney. Haha. <laughs> you would have uh, wanted that one. You know what? I would say I would say something like Everything I Know About Love by Dolly Alderton, not because I related to every single thing in the book, but because there's some huge sense of community that came with that book. And I think it rallied a lot of women together, and I think that's a really beautiful thing. Okay. Best purchase under $200. Ooh. Um, the muck hair curler. <laughs> yeah, the muck hair curler. Very female. <laughs> Sorry, men, unless you've got long hair and you want to curl it. Sorry, we've got a 60-40 split of audience, so <laughs> we'll be I- evening it out a bit. Um, best purchase under $200. You would have agreed with me. The muck yeah, hair color muck is pretty color. good. I mean, I said this to you like two days ago and you just jumped on it. Um, <laughs> portable phone charger. Okay. As in like like a battery? Yeah. Like oh. a, a battery bank thing. Uh, You would never see me without it. Okay. A lot of people have said AirPods. I don't AirPods have AirPods. AirPods is a AirPods. big thing. Uh, I would have Tech. Said my- Jordan, you should <laughs> Tech. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> They're amazing though. As Tommy said, try skipping with and without AirPods. Okay. We, we have wireless headphones. We're fine. Okay. All right. Um, look, thank you guys for coming in. It's been a pleasure having you on. I think um, what you're doing is really good. I think, like I said, there's this whole space in new media that no one's really doing anything around. And uh, I hope you grab it by the horns. We also hope we do that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having us. Uh, where can people find you? Oh, come on. We do this every episode. On Instagram, at Shameless Podcast. In the fetal position at my bed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Fine. I'll do this. Shameless Podcast community, Facebook group, iTunes, Shameless Podcast. Zara is on Instagram, at Zara McDonald. I'm at Michelle Andrews One. And at Shameless Media. Ah, on Instagram. Hey. They're everywhere. Yeah, I found that the other day. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I've got 2,000 followers. <laughs> thanks very much. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. 
Thank you for making it to the end. Before you run off, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode or do leave us a rating. For Instagram, go follow us on at uncommon underscore podcast. For YouTube, search Uncommon Podcast and don't forget to subscribe if you're watching this video. Also, give us a like or leave a comment on what you thought about the episode. But until next time, thanks so much for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Neural Media. Are you an entrepreneur or marketer who needs help making podcasts, video, or animation? Perhaps you don't have time to manage a freelancer or the budget to deal with an agency. Well, Neural Media can help you with simple and affordable content creation, saving you time and money by taking away the pain of producing that content. To learn more, head to neural.com slash media. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com slash media. Play around with our pricing or request a callback directly. Listeners to the show receive a special discount by using the promo code UNCOMMON.